friends, it's me, Stephanie, your host of Immersive Crime. Can I get a drum roll, please? Because this is my 10th episode. I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of you for taking this trip with me. It's been such an eye-opening experience. I'm a person who thought she knew a lot about true crime, about prosecution, the ins and outs of things like that, but I've learned a ton from doing the research on these cases. I love growing as a human, so this has been a super growing experience for me. So thanks again. And with that being said, I've made the decision that Immersive Crime Seasons will be 20 episodes long. So this puts us halfway through the very first season of Immersive Crime. I will be taking a mid-season break next week. Um, The kids are going back to school soon and we're going to be taking just a staycation, not really going anywhere, just doing random things around our area just to spend time with them before they get back into their regular scheduled programming. After today's case, the next one will post on Friday, August 26th, which is the day before my birthday in case anyone needed to know. Um, So after that quick update, let's get into it. The case I have for you today is still an unsolved missing persons case. It happened in 2001 and there's a ton of circumstantial evidence and I have kind of defined circumstantial evidence. I kind of knew what it was loosely, but in case you didn't know, um, it is defined as indirect evidence that does not on its face provide a fact, um, but gives rise to logical inference that the fact exists. Circumstantial evidence requires drawing additional reasonable inferences in order to support the claim, which then circumstantial evidence is also broken down further into three types, and those are physical evidences, human behavior or indirect witness testimony, and scientific evidence. A combination of these forms of evidence is often enough to convict someone, but they are still not as powerful as a direct witness of the crime or DNA evidence, which I guess is kind of like a silent witness, if you think about it. All of these definitions come from the website study.com. So I have many feelings and questions about this case, for sure, which I'm sure you will in the end. This is the missing persons case of Patty Atkins. Let's get started. Sit back and visualize. It is the year 2001. We have lived through Y2K and we're making advancements. Most people are carrying cell phones. When you would turn on the radio, you would hear You Remind Me by Usher and Fallen by Alicia Keys and so many others that I personally still enjoy because of the nostalgia factor. It is the beginning of summer in the small city of Marysville, Ohio. This is located about 27 miles northwest of the capital city of Columbus. The small city has seen a growth of population of 39% since 2001, checking in with about 22,000 residents. Fun fact about Marysville, their slogan is, Where the Grass is Greener. Marysville is home to the Honda Manufacturing Plant. Some background information about that is Honda opened their factory doors in 1979 with only 64 workers that were employed there, and they didn't start out making cars, they started out making small dirt bikes. 
Now they have over 13,000 people and four separate manufacturing locations around the Marysville area, which that growth of the plant alone probably explains why the city's growth happened so much. Honda provides their employees with many benefits for all the work they do because they work a lot of hours and don't have very much time off. And one of those perks is plant shutdown weeks. There are two of these and they're usually around the 4th of July and Christmas. Our story takes place on June 29th of 2001. Now I would like you to meet Patricia Atkins and her friends and family called her Patty. Patty was 29 years old. She was a single mother and had been working at the Honda plant for 10 years. She started there when she was 19 years old and worked her way to being a supervisor on the assembly line that she worked. Patty worked second shift and would get off at midnight, sometimes a little bit later because she had responsibilities as a supervisor. In the sources that I used for this case, everyone described Patty as hardworking. They also said that she was a very dedicated mother to her daughter. It's even said that she and her family were super close and they would go on sister vacations and just all around support each other in a very loving way. Now, I always get confused on how people look at second shift jobs, like what do you consider the day before and you work into the next day, so it's just very confusing to me. But on June 29th, before she started the last shift, before the shutdown week at Honda, Patty called her sister Marsha and left a message and it was to confirm the plans that Marsha and Patty had made for her daughter. Her daughter was going to spend a few days at her biological dad's house and then a few days with her Aunt Marsha. And this was during Patty's vacation, um, and she said that she would pick her daughter up on the evening of July 8th. Also during this message, Patty reminded Marsha that she wasn't sure of what kind of cell phone service there would be or if there would be a phone or any way to contact her while she was gone, but she would do her best to give her um, updates of how her trip was going while she was on the road. You see, Patty was seeing a man, which she called her boyfriend. We're going to refer, refer to him as the boyfriend, who also worked at Honda. Her boyfriend worked in a different part of the Honda factory, and they had been seeing each other for around a year. The big issue with the boyfriend is that he was married. According to Patty and what she told her family, it was not going to be for much longer because the boyfriend had let Patty know that it was on the outs with his wife. The boyfriend and Patty had planned a romantic getaway to Canada in a cabin in the woods, secluded, and they were going to be leaving on June 29th after their shifts at the plant. The plan included driving her boyfriend's truck to the cabin. Patty caught a ride to the Honda facility that day because she didn't want to have her car sitting in the parking lot all week while they were gone. At 19 seconds after midnight, which was quick for Patty, she clocked out of her shift in her white Honda jumper, because that's what they look like, they're like coveralls, and she left the Honda factory. The plan was, and what she told her siblings, is that she would jump into the back of her boyfriend's truck and under the tonneau cover, and a tonneau cover is like a canvas cover that keeps things protected in the, in the bed of a truck. He had bought this tonneau cover especially for the trip, so she wasn't seen by their colleagues or friends when he was dropping another person home before their vacation started, because they had to be secretive, of course. 
The move would have been very easy because she had no luggage. Her boyfriend had told her that he'd be buying her new clothes when they got to their destination. Which is confusing to me. I mean, no luggage? Not even a toothbrush? You're gonna buy everything? I just... I couldn't even think about that. Like, I really think that I would start asking questions if my significant other was like, Hey, don't bring luggage. Hide out in my truck. Um, We don't want my wife or anybody else to see. It's just really freaking weird. For the next week, no one heard from Patty. And of course, it wasn't alarming um, because Patty had let everybody know it was expected. As Sunday came and no one of Patty's friends or family had heard from her, they began to worry, especially Marsha because she had her daughter. So, like a sister would do, she started calling her over and over again. And Patty's cell phone would just ring and ring and go to voicemail. She never answered. So, once she got fed up with that, she decided to call Patty's boyfriend. When she reached his business number, his wife picked up and Marsha pretended to be a customer of his personal business and his wife informed Marsha that he wasn't back yet. So this was good news because Marsha was in a panic and now she could relax a little bit because she just thought they were running late getting home. But when she still wasn't back a few hours later, she called again and Patty's boyfriend answered this time. He also claimed he had no idea what trip she was talking about and that he barely knew Patty Atkins. He was adamant that he hadn't gone on vacation with her and she was not his girlfriend. After all, he was married. And this is the part of the story where I'm pretty sure that his wife was nearby and he couldn't really say anymore because there was witnesses to the telephone call. Sketchy, but I bet that is the reason. He claimed that he did know Patty from work, but that was it. Marcia called her other sister who happened to be visiting their mother and she told them that something wasn't right and that Patty was now missing and she was worried. By 7 p.m. that Sunday night, a missing persons report had been filed by Marcia with the local police. Marcia then began to look into Patty's disappearance herself and she did what I would have done. She called the wife and let her know what was going on. When Marcia got the boyfriend's wife on the line, she began to explain all about the affair and everything that she knew that Patty had told her. She told the boyfriend's wife about the gifts that Patty would buy for him to the point where it had become a tradition for her to pick up keepsakes from wherever she had gone on vacation. Even after all this information, and I'm sure his wife had seen these things, the wife of the boyfriend didn't believe Marcia and began asking her own questions. During the questioning back and forth between the wife and Marcia, the boyfriend got involved and quickly Marcia realized that she was attempting to get information from him, but the boyfriend was also trying to see just how much information Patty had given her sister. When the investigation got started, the police arrived at Patty's home and they confirmed that nothing was out of place and there was nothing that indicated that she left against her own free will. What was known is that she'd caught a ride with a friend and gone to work, as usual, clocked off of her shift just after midnight. After that, the movements of Patty and her timeline and what happened to her is what is trying to be answered. Her family were certain that she would never, ever leave her daughter behind in the life that she had worked so hard for. 
Investigators spoke to many of the people in Patty's life to confirm the information that Patty's sisters were telling them. According to Patty's friend at work, the only one who knew about the affair, it was more of an emotional relationship. Patty and the boyfriend could talk about anything for hours, and the connection they had was more than physical, and that's what Patty described to her friend. The friend also said Patty told her that they had only got together a couple times during the year they had been seeing each other. Detectives also spoke to the boyfriend, who let them search his home and business, and he appeared helpful, but he continued to deny the relationship, and when he was polygraphed, he failed, but you know how polygraphs are. They're not substantial court, they don't stand alone, don't usually mean a lot, but it is something to note. They interviewed his wife, who was still very doubtful about the apparent affair her husband had been accused of having. According to her, with work, their side business, and looking after their children, he didn't have a lot of time to have an affair. It just wasn't possible. According to the boyfriend and his wife, this is the timeline they placed together for his whereabouts. The night that Patty and the boyfriend clocked off work, June 29th of 2001, the boyfriend was home by 2.30 a.m. After finishing around midnight, he had to take his friend home first. But then he spent the rest of the weekend with her and the children. He was also doing many honey-do's around their home during this week and went on a short fishing trip. He didn't have time for anything else. When asked why it took two and a half hours to get home, the boyfriend explained that he and his friend stopped at a nearby Burger King that was near the Honda plant and it took 45 minutes. But the investigators thought that was weird. Like, why would a drive through take 45 minutes at midnight, midnight 30? And, of course, the investigators followed up with the management of the BK about the activities and if it was a 45-minute wait that night. And they were like, at that time of day, we never have a 45-minute wait, ever. However he spent his week, the investigators were still looking to him as the last person that saw Patty alive and questioned his story about not having an affair based on items that were found during the search. Police found a birthday card in the boyfriend's house. He tried to explain to the police that it was from the colleagues at Honda and it was something that everyone there would get on their birthdays. You know, from the 4,000 plus people that worked there. But it was only signed by Patty. So if it was from everybody, why didn't everybody sign it? They also found a phone that Marsha told, told police Patty had bought for the boyfriend so his soon-to-be ex-wife wouldn't see their phone records on the family plan that they used. Something else that solidified the story of the affair and helped the sisters look more credible was a t-shirt from the Hard Rock Cafe that Marcia explained that Patty wanted to make a special trip to the Hard Rock Cafe to buy it for the boyfriend on their sister trip to Florida months earlier. Police now had reason to believe that the boyfriend was lying and there was still one thing unaccounted for that the sisters knew about. Patty had been loaning the boyfriend money and according to Marsha, Patty had told her that the boyfriend was going to start paying her back starting July 1st, just two days into their week-long shutdown at Honda and their vacation. We aren't talking about a little bit of money either. According to Patty's sisters, it had been quite a lot of money. For someone who had worked her way up in the manufacturing plant over the years, it was a lot. Over the year they had been together, Patty had given the man in total over $90,000. Like 
Like that makes me sick to think of that. It would take me way more than a dang year to come up with $90,000. You see, he wanted to buy out his share of the side of the company that he owned. And he told Patty that they couldn't be together fully and start their future until that happened. Determined to move their relationship along and to be with him, Patty cashed in on stocks, took out a second mortgage on her home. She withdrew $30,000 from her 401k. When the police learned of this monetary support and the payment plan, they started to look into the money trail. All they could find was the trail that Patty had on her end all the records of withdrawing the money from the various accounts. Even at her home, they found evidence of Patty getting out stacks of cash because the money bands were left behind. But none of the money could be found in the boyfriend's accounts. So if she had given the cash, it was not traceable. No one knows what happened to that money. Like, how do you hide $90,000? I'm pretty sure that's not possible. I don't know. I mean, he obviously did. During the search of the boyfriend's home in the areas that were on the honey-do list was a new concrete pad. Cadaver dogs found a scent on a patch of newly poured cement, so of course the cement was dug up, but nothing was found. However, the boyfriend did let the investigators know that the mixture was left over and taken from another site. He was a contractor, so kind of makes sense. There were not any reports that I could find that spoke of the other location where the other batch of cement was ever searched. I mean, I'm sure they did, and if something was there, maybe they're just not telling us, but could not find anything about that. There were also some questions about why his tonneau cover was now not on the truck. Everything was still attached to it, but the tonneau cover was not on. Now, when they searched his properties, it was found on another one of the properties um, where they kept stuff for his business. This, accompanied by speaking to one of the men that the boyfriend worked with, only created more questions in the investigation. The boyfriend's co-worker told detectives that... He had the tonneau cover installed on the truck the day Patty went missing on the 29th of June before his shift at Honda. The cover was in storage again a week later, claiming that it was for his fishing trip that weekend. The issue was that that truck was a company vehicle for his personal business and the bed was a large part of the operation. It was needed to haul items, so putting a cover on it made it unusable. When the police requested a forensic examination of the cover, it had two major discoveries. They found feline hairs that ended up being an exact match for Patty's cats, and the examination also recovered the smallest drop of blood. Now, it's 2001, and technology has still had a way to go, and the amount of blood wasn't enough for a conclusive analysis, and they were afraid that if they tested it, they were going to have to use a whole sample, and it may not even work because of the lack of technology, so the decision was made to not test the blood and it remains in a lab for the advancements in the technology. Ladies and gentlemen, this is pretty much where this case ends. Don't riot, I know it's not the best, but it's just wild. Nothing has ever happened to the boyfriend and all the sources I use call him just that. <laughs> no name is ever listed because he was never charged for anything and they were making sure he kept his privacy. 
there are so many questions that I have, and I'm sure you do as well. Maybe our questions have answers, but the police haven't released those to the public yet because they don't want it getting out for somebody to claim that they know what happened to her and have false claims. The location of the boyfriend during the two and a half hours after his shift ended is what is so weird to me. The boyfriend telling Patty not to bring any clothing that she was gonna he was gonna buy new clothing for her there. But if there's shops and infrastructure for vacations, why wouldn't there be cell service? Simple questions also include why the initial building site wasn't searched when the dogs found a scent on the semen that was left over. It's just so many things, so many questions. And then there's hard questions like what happened to Patty's $90,000 if the money wasn't deposited into a bank account. In the end, Patty's body has never been found. Her case is considered cold but active. Patty's daughter is now 27 and her whole family still wonders what happened to their sister, mother, and daughter. I truly hope that they start that squeaky wheel and bother the investigators about testing that tiny sample. I feel like in 2022, soon to be 2023, we probably have the technology now to test a tinier sample. There is a $25,000 reward being offered by concerned citizens for Patty. Anyone with information is asked to call Central Ohio Crime Stoppers at 614-461-TIPS. Use the free P3 Tips mobile application or provide information online at www.stopcrime.org. And we all know how tips can make a difference in any case. There's no tip that is too small. So if you know anything about this case, have heard anything, family members, anything at all, please call or get online. Patty's sister is quoted in the dispatch as saying, I have never fully grieved for my sister because the pain is so overwhelming. You can't come to terms with it because your mind wants it to be rational and it isn't. There's nothing rational about someone just vanishing from the face of the earth. Take time to think of Patty today and her family. Take time to say her name today because she was here and she still matters. As always, thank you for listening from the bottom of my heart. Until next time. Just wanted to remind you, vacation next week. Immersive Crime will be back on August 26th. I hope everyone has a great week. Think of me. I will miss you all, but I promise I will be back on August 26th. Talk to you soon.